This is exactly right. The narrative should be more like, when I'm happy, my kids are happy. Uh, and when, when I'm happier, my kids are happier. But their happiness does not depend on my happiness. And my happiness does not depend on their happiness. I am an independent person who gets to decide how I feel about things at any given moment. And you know, I'm going to work on me and help them learn to work on them. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. That mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is Sisters Parenting Happiness and More with our esteemed guest, KJ Del Antonia. KJ is the author of the viral New York Times parenting essay, Why I Didn't Answer Your Email the former editor of the Times Motherload blog, and the author of the book, How to Be a Happier Parent, which we are certainly going to talk about. Her debut novel is coming out, The Chicken Sisters, which is timely and a humorous explanation of the same themes she focuses on in her journalism. The importance of finding joy in our families, the challenges of figuring out what makes us happy, and the need to value the people in front of us more than the ones in our phones and laptops every single time. And she is also a co-host and podcaster of the Hashtag Am Writing Podcast. KJ, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the lovely introduction. So we have so much to talk about here. Um, we have your books. We have your, um, your experience as a, uh, as a parent who is seeking and has found happiness, which so many of us are uh, excited to hear about. And I, I, th- I thought we'd start with, tell us how, how your path from journalism, okay, from the South to journalism to becoming a happiness parenting expert. <laughs> um, I'm not always a happy parent. I always like to tell people that I wrote a book called How to Be Happier, not How to Be Happy, <laughs> right. period. So I'm aiming for the er. That's that's always my that goal. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Texas and Kansas and uh, went to law school in Chicago, moved to New York, failed at being a lawyer in about eight different ways there, and eventually returned to what I really should have always known that I would end up doing, which was um, writing and journalism. I was, you know, wrote for the college newspaper. I've written all my life. I think I was such a writer that I didn't feel like it could be a job. Also, I didn't grow up in a family where that was really seen as necessarily a a practical Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. approach to life. That, you know, that's actually a place for us to dive in here, because how... How important is it for the, so this, this dilemma of do we, the, the new way is to 
to support and guide our kids to follow their passions and their interests and their talents and what's meaningful to them versus the sort of old stable um, staple of, you know, you got to do something that brings in, you know, that is marketable, that brings in uh, a good living and is something that you can count on. Well, Which of it course, sounds like you tried that with law. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, I think that didn't work out so great for a lot of us. And what a lot of us as parents have become aware of, intensely aware of, is that those jobs that our parents thought we could count on are not jobs that our parent, our kids are going to be able to count on. So just like many of us found ourselves marching through that expected uh, high school, college, graduate school, entry-level job, promotion, etc., and found that it didn't work for one reason or another. We're looking now and seeing that though that ladder's not even there for our kids. And I think that's one reason that we struggle so much to be happy as parents because it's really parenting has never been about, you know, the end game. You don't raise your kids up and shoot them out at destination success. It's not the goal. But it's really hard for us right now when we don't even necessarily know how to advise our kids to approach their future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, with so much up in the air and uncertainty these days in, in, in several areas of our life, um, I wonder, I, I sometimes wonder, is it, is the guidance easier or actually harder? And, and let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, in the sense that there used to be a roadmap, like you said, and you do this and you do this and you do this, and then you will you know, work in New York at a law firm and make this much money and uh, be partner at this. T- like there was this map. Th- theoretically, there was this map. Whether you're happy or not, there was a map. And now there is so much up in the air, as you say. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much innovation. There's so many different ways of living and different lifestyles in, in the changing young culture. I almost wonder if it like if we could see this as a breath of fresh air and we can focus on what really matters which is raising good people as opposed to here's the roadmap you need to be on. I think that is an amazing way to look at it and also a really difficult way to look at it because you're absolutely right. Um, The only thing that we can do for our kids, no matter whether we believe there's a ladder out there or not, but the only thing a parent can really hope to do is to raise a kid who can take care of themselves in the adult world, right? And that means raising someone who can be a productive part of a community, a productive part of a family, who knows how to have relationships with other people, with friends, with partners, with roommates, um, who knows how to find work that can support them when they need to and create a path for themselves when there's no clear and obvious path. And really, we're all doing that, even when we sort of had that illusion that there Mm -hmm. was a ladder out there. And I think if you go back, it's kind of interesting, because if you go back historically, for literally thousands of years, kids' lives tended to look much like their parents' lives looked like. If their parents were farmers, they tended to be farmers. If their parents you know, I, I don't want to, I, 
I can't even think of another example, but it just people sort of lived in this agricultural society that stayed pretty standard, except for some small innovations here, here and there for a really long time. And then right about when our grandparents started hitting high school and uh, that high school age, that's actually about when high school was invented. There wasn't even, their parents didn't go to high school. So if you go back a couple of generations, you see parents who are suddenly looking at their kids and seeing their kids having a totally different experience than they are. And then you see sort of our grandparents and maybe our parents, and I don't know your family situation, but my parents, my mother was, would not have, was not expected to go to college. Girls weren't expected to go to college where she lived and where she was and sort of in the situation that she was in. She did ultimately, although not till after I was born. So my parents didn't look at me and sort of expect me to do exactly what they had done. But we, I think, as parents look at our kids and go, well, I did high school and then college and then graduate school and then job. So mm-hmm. maybe that is though, you know, maybe you could do the same thing. Maybe I can guide you through life in the same way that I went through life. And I feel like we are the first or the second generation, depending on your family situation, I think, to feel like that about it, to feel like we need to give our kids that guidance for a while anyway. Mm-hmm. And as and as you're talking, I'm thinking about um, this the cross section then of the happiness quotient because there's so much. Uh, again, we're we're dealing with so much, and there, there's so much new. There's so much unknown, um, and there are a lot of factors which you would say are impacting family uh, family happiness these days. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There are a lot yeah. of factors that are impacting family happiness. So what are the ones we need to be aware of, you know, just to well, validate for everyone's experience? Let's 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 skip the obvious and topical stuff of, mm-hmm. you know, um uh quarantine and all of the sort of things that are immediately going on and just take a look at where we are as a society, as a culture. And we truly live in a culture that is not supportive of families. We talk a great game, and I think we want to be supportive of families, but we don't offer a whole lot that really is supportive. And you can look at that as we don't offer a whole lot in terms of benefits or or policy. You can look at the policy question, but you could also just look at the support that parents get from the people around them or the lack thereof. I think parents are parenting right now in an atmosphere where, you know, the other people in the grocery store, the other people in the park, the other people on the airplane, the other parents, it feels like they expect the parent to have a certain amount of, you know, control or decision-making or to behave in a certain way, but there's not a lot of guidance that helps us figure out how we're supposed to behave. And there's not there's there's not a lot of clarity. I mean, your your kid is supposed to sit quietly on the airplane with a book, and certainly not a if we ever go on an airplane again. But you know, and certainly not with a device because that's bad parenting. But nobody know nobody knows how to get there because it's really hard to get there. So I think we're in an atmosphere of a lot of pressure to do this right 
and a sense that there's a lot of people watching in, in various forms, and then not a lot of feeling that we actually know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So everyone listening, this is normal to like, what are we doing? How do we do it? Where are we going? And, and incredible responsibility in the face of a lot of judgment is really what you're saying as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so enlighten us. You, um, you were recently on the Today Show and you talked about the four things that happy parents do well and how every parent can do them. Yes. So in order, so in writing the book, How to Be a Happier Parent, I did not like draw on my personal happy parenting experience. In fact, what I really did was to look around my life and the lives of the people that were writing for me as I was uh, leading the Motherload blog at the New York Times and the lives of my friends and the lives of uh, all the many, many people I was interviewing and go, wow, we are not very happy. And the research showed the same thing. Uh, you know, parents described themselves as happier while they were emptying the dishwasher than they were while they were doing what they would consider parenting activities with their kids. <laughs> so we were in this crazed moment of, um, uh, of people really not describing themselves as getting a lot of joy out of their families. So I dug deep into the existing research and I did my own research, um, working with a university professor at Fordham in New York. And what I found is that happier parents in general do four things pretty well, and they are things, they are shifts that we can make. So happier parents move from heavier involvement with younger kids to fostering independence as their children become more capable. So a happier parent of a younger child will describe themselves as more involved in day-to-day, more involved in uh, schooling, more involved in decisions about you know, exactly what the child is doing when, whereas a happier parent, which by which I mean a parent who describes themselves as happy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with older kids is going to describe less day-to-day involvement, more conversation, more a different relationship, a less um, directive relationship. So happier parents... Um, or parents that describe themselves as happier, don't put their children's everyday needs above their own. <laughs> yeah. They look for the good in day-to-day experiences and they know what's really important and what's just noise and fury. So let's let's parse those those last yes, three things yes, out. Okay. Yes. So people who describe themselves as happier don't put their kids' everyday needs above their own. And what I found there is that Parents who reported themselves as, as happier, um, they didn't look to their kids to make decisions about things like what to have to dinner or where to go on vacation or what to do on Saturday morning. They took their kids into account. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't as though they were just sort of, you know, bulldozing their way through life without any consideration of their kids at all. Mm-hmm. But it was more mm-hmm. of a give and take kind of relationship. Um, you know, they, they're, they weren't having chicken fingers for dinner every night. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. With and goldfish. Then, with goldfish. Mm, this, it doesn't sound too bad, does it? Like once in a while, chicken fingers with goldfish. I am there. So uh, parents who describe themselves as happier in my research or in other research um, were able to look for the good in their day-to-day experiences. And this is really important because this isn't something that we can 
stop and take a moment to do at almost any time. Even when you're sitting in your you know, kitchen and you're flailing around to make dinner because you came home late from work and your partner's on a trip and your fourth grader's on the floor crying because math is just too hard and, you know, the five-year-old's begging for more screen time, it is possible to take, and not just possible, important, great to just pause for a minute and look at that scenario and go, wow, okay. There's a lot of really annoying things happening here, and I'm not going to deny that, but we're all here. We're all pretty happy. We're all pretty healthy. And, you know, and I think this has become easier at the moment than it has ever been before to know that that the phone call that changes all that can, will, and does come unexpectedly at any moment into everybody's lives. I think we've all had that experience of going, oh, man. I did not know yesterday while I drive, drove those, you know, three squabbling children back and forth um, from soccer practice to violin to whatever, cursing my decisions about activities. I did not know that suddenly all of that would end. Right, right. So, and you know, we've had that experience. We all have that experience in different ways. So, it can sound like I'm saying, just be grateful for what you have. And I think that can be something that people perceive as really annoying, but this is actually something different. This is more trying to help your own mind recognize that by and large, most of the time, if you are a person who is listening to my words and reading my book, you probably have it pretty good. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. probably even though have it a, can be hard. It can be hard. Even though but, it can yeah. be hard, and it is hard. And I don't. I'm, no one should deny that. And saying that you have it pretty good doesn't lessen the things about it that are hard. Like, I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't, uh, you can't be suffering because others suffer more than you. That is a really aggravating position that is always frustrating for me. It's just more taking a minute to recognize the things that you do have can train your mind to pay more attention to those things when the things that are going badly are not that big a deal. And even when they are a big deal, it's really helpful when something um, really hard happens, when you uh, lose a family member to something, when your kid doesn't get into the college that they want to get into, when when um, you, know, you have a, a young kid who's having a really rough uh, friendship go. And those, those things can be really, really painful. But if you can take that step back and recognize that by and large, overall, things are okay. It's really helpful for you as a parent and your own happiness. And it's also helpful for our kids. Um, I think your guest last week, Laura Zygman, I, mm -hmm. I hope you run the podcast in order. I don't want to mess that up, but um, mentioned that importance of being able to say everything is going to be okay, even when okay might not look so okay. And so what I'm saying when I say look for the good in day-to-day -day experiences is really about focusing on, on that, that okayness that is generally underneath mm -hmm. most of our lives. Sometimes things are not okay. And I think sometimes it's... They're just not. But they're, yeah, oh. sometimes they're not. And I think what you're talking about is a mindset mm -hmm. and, a, and a practice, right? It's like a practice of seeing things a certain way 
intentionally because it's easy to get completely overwhelmed by all of the stuff and all of the difficulty, right? And so, yes, it is important. Like even in those terrible, terrible days, there are some happy moments and some funny situations and a child of make some milestone or just something to breathe through and, and smile. And it, it's, it, it doesn't just happen. You're basically saying these parents who describe themselves as happier, they need to look for the good. It doesn't, it's, it's an intentional thing. Right. Right. It is, it is intentional. It is a practice. Um, it's, it's, you know, taking a minute to actually take in that, that deep breath and sort of force yourself to see those things mm-hmm. and take your shoulders down out of your ears and, and try. It's an effort. I mean, it's a, it's a decision. And mm-hmm. that kind of, I think being happier about being a parent or about anything is so often a decision. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's a choice because there are other things that go into that, but you can, you know, this is just standard I think we all know deep down in our hearts that we really can't control very much about what happens to us, but we can control how we respond to it. And finding the good in your day-to-day experiences is exactly that. So we have people who report themselves as being happier. They move from being heavily involved to fostering independence as their kids get older. Yep. They um, put. They do not put their kids Every no day chicken fingers all, and goldfish. Yeah, always over their own. No chicken fingers and goldfish. And uh, they're looking for the good. And then what's number four? Well, this one, again, I also think has suddenly become so much easier for all of us. Happier parents, people who describe themselves as happier in their family lives, know what is really important, what really endangers their children, what's really going to cause a problem, and what's just sound and fury. Um, you know, they know that those things that I, some of those things that I list, they know that a kid not getting into the second grade classroom with their best friend or, you know, losing a boyfriend or even getting a failing grade, even their junior year in high school, that's really, it's not a lion that's going to eat the child. Um, no, no. uh, so recognizing that almost all of the threats that we as Western parents if we live in a, a privileged part of our Western society, almost all of the threats that our kids face are not lions and tigers. They tend to be things that can be gotten through. And knowing that and facing those problems like that is helpful to the parents. And it's great for our kids who get a chance to see us sort of putting things that can feel really catastrophic to a kid into perspective. Yes. And so you know, it's so I just want to acknowledge that the people who can do that, that I feel like those are the people swimming upstream and we all want to swim upstream with them, which is there's so much worry and fear about everything our child does or doesn't do, makes or doesn't make impacting this future success or or this precious vulnerable self-esteem, like in the thinking that mm-hmm. it is so important to weed through all of that because it just can be overwhelming, particularly particularly if, as you write about and talk about, if you're sitting on your phones and looking at all the social media sites of all the stuff which is perceived to be going on with everyone else. Right. Because 
and we know this, we do, but it bears repeating, people are not posting their worst moments. Nobody is posting that their kid is failing every single class in online school, not that I know anyone who's in that situation. Nobody is posting uh, the kid sobbing on the floor because the math is just too hard. Or if they are, they're posting it like, yeah, you know, I'm the cool parent who can just handle this because I'm just rolling with people. Even when we try to show the both pieces of our family lives, we tend to focus on the stuff that's going pretty well, even when we don't mean to. And so instead of looking at the people around us and going, man, I want to take my kids on a year round boat trip around the world, or I want to, you know, why don't I, why aren't we doing science experiments with dry ice in the backyard? Why aren't we playing bubble soccer? We, it's great to take a minute and maybe, maybe go through your own social media feed and look at the things other people are seeing that you're doing. Cause one thing I found in writing this book was that as easy as it was for me to make this list of, I think, nine things that people found really tough, um, mm-hmm. screens and discipline and mealtime and homework and chores and activities and uh, whatnot, almost no one finds them all tough. I mean, they're all tough, but almost everyone has one thing where they're like, yeah, okay, I got this. Um, my social media, freq- media feed frequently shows me cooking with my kids. I got that one because I like mm-hmm. to cook. And I like to eat and we don't have any issues around it. And it's a happy thing in our family. My social media feed does not show my children happily picking their towels up the floor, off the floor of their bathrooms. It certainly doesn't show homework. Um, You know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that is not out there. So keep it in mind that there's probably something that you're getting that you do feel good about can really help with the things that you don't. So these are really important um, jewels for everyone listening um, in terms of making a movement towards being happier, as you pointed out earlier. Uh. Happier. This is a continuum. And part of this uh, you write about is changing the parenting narrative, right? How do we change our narrative to become happier as parents? Yes, there is this kind of trendy feeling that the more miserable we're making ourselves while we're doing this, especially when our kids are very young, the better a job we must be doing. Uh, You know, the more we're sacrificing in the form of driving our kids around willy nilly, which is not at the moment a problem, but will be a problem again. Um, The more time we're spending uh, making sure that they get every single opportunity and the more exhausted we are at the end of the day and the more we describe ourselves as in need of uh, alcohol, um, which is a sort of a, I really dislike the mommy needs a martini trend. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it has a lot of, it's got a lot of problems, but the more we do that, like somehow it's like, we must be doing a good job because we're suffering. Um, I don't think that's not a narrative that's really helpful to anyone, not to the parents around you, not to you and not to your kids. I mean, it, you know, is this the life? If, if if you're truly not finding very much joy in this family that um, most of us worked really hard to mm-hmm. get and put together, I think it's sometimes it's time to ask ourselves, is this what we want for our kids and often particularly for our daughters because women tend to do this I think a little more frequently than men are we really trying to raise children who are then going to sacrifice their own lives and hopes and and just 
just the mm-hmm. sheer fun things they like to do on Saturday mornings to another generation. So the narrative then is something like what? The narrative, I think, should be more like when I'm happy, my kids are happy. Um, yeah. Uh, and when, when I'm happier, my kids are happier. But their happiness does not depend on my happiness. And my happiness does not depend on their happiness. I am an independent person who gets to decide how I feel about things at any given moment. And, you know, I'm going to work on me and help them learn to work on them. Well, and you just, uh, as our listeners know, you just you just nailed the uh, you know the overarching theme of our mission and show is that you know to to raise happy kids we need to work on our own happiness our own sense of self our own life and for so for for the last it seems few decades there's been such a push on the child fixing the child helping the child you know peak performance of the child. I mean, all of this stuff at the expense of the parent and with a lot of parents not realizing the impact that they're not fully living their own lives and not being fulfilled and not having the relationships they want, etc. The negative impact that has on our kids, even if everything else is supposed to be looking great. Yes, I think there's a Carl Jung quote that's something like, there is no greater burden on a child than the unlived life of a parent. Yes, that's a wonderful one. Yes. So parents live your life, right? Your life matters. And the other thing we I always talk to parents about is that this this helps your kids because a lot of times parents are like I'm well, I feel selfish you know I've I've been meeting I've been going for a walk every day with my friends I feel selfish right like how did that happen Yeah it's it's I don't know how we got to this point where we do feel selfish when we do something that is just for us and not for not for our families or for our kids I there's I got I got theories, but let's just agree that our parents did not worry about this. Um, you know, they yeah. they did not they didn't for the most of us they the did not part, need yes. this advice. One of one of my absolute favorite stories that I found in writing this book, I was um, trying to explore whether or not our parents' generation went to watch our our sports practices because you, you find a lot of parents today that will just sit during the sports practice and, and be there for it. And I was talking to one woman and she said, I don't think so. I'm going to call my mom and ask her. She, she calls me back and she's like, I said to my mom, mom, did, did you go to my soccer practices when I was in high school? And my mom said, you played soccer. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I know. That, yeah. That is so wonderful. I so mean, not that wonderful. we don't want to know what our kids are doing, but that that is beautiful. Let your kids play soccer because they want to play soccer, not because you're watching, not because you want them to play soccer, because they want to play soccer. And if they can get there on their bike like this person did, more power to them. But yeah, that That's that great. just killed me. And to find a happy medium, maybe between knowing what your high school aged child is interested in and having your own really strong and power and powerful interests that govern the way that you spend your time and the way that your thoughts are occupied is really important. Totally. Um, That I was just thinking of uh, just my own experiences with this and going from 
at a time when feeling guilty about not being coaching, not being at every practice, when I was so excited if my dad would show up to a game every once in a while, like, whoa, that was awesome. And then realizing, you know what, when I drop off for practice or have to go to a meet, I'm going for a run. Like yeah. I'm going to go for a run and listen to a podcast. And like, that is your that, time. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. It took a little while, but I got there. Um, Okay, so let's uh, tell us. Let's transition to your new novel, which is coming out at the end of this month, "The Chicken Sisters." So, tell us about where this book came from and what we are going to experience from it. Oh, I'm so excited to have this this book coming out. So, I didn't really realize this while I was writing it, but it is in some ways very similar to what I've been writing about for years and I guess what I'm interested in, which is why is it so hard to figure out what will make us happy? So, I have two characters, two small town sisters, one who stays and one who goes, um both of whom have been fighting for a decade over which of them made the right choice and who are secretly beginning to wonder if the answer is the other. And of course, because, you know, who wouldn't, what they decide to do is bring in a reality TV show, restaurant competition to resolve their ongoing lifetime feud, which also is re resolving an ongoing lifetime well, multi-generation feud between two fried chicken restaurants in the same small town in Kansas. So it's a story of small towns and figuring out what makes you happy and sisterly relationships. There's a lot of um, family challenges in there. Both of my protagonists are fighting against the legacy that their mother has left them with in very different ways. And they need to figure out whether they can you know, get it together and support each other or whether they're just going to battle it out on a big old reality TV screen. Nice. And there's, so you're leaving us with, there's, there's no um, dangling carrot here. We have to, we have to read it to find out what they find out, what they learn. You have to, well, sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. You have to. Awesome. Plus, okay. It is, it is fun. Um, yes. You know, some of the things people have said about it are that it was just what they needed in quarantine. It's the comfort food of novels. It's, I can just, I actually find it really hard to talk about my other book in this way, but I, I don't know. I don't know why, but this one, I really feel like um, it's fun. I can tell you if you like books like this, if you like, you know, fun books with the reality TV theme with uh, protagonists trying to change themselves with um, lots of family secrets and family drama, then you're going to like this one. Because I did nice. a good job. Yay me. Nice. <laughs> good for you. Good for you. So through all of this exploration, I mean, through your, uh, all the mother load. And I mean, what an amazing experience for you to um, be editing and interviewing and have access to so many different experts and real people living um, their lives. And then through your book and through your novel and through your own parenting, what, why, what have you learned about why it's so hard for people to figure out what happiness is, what brings them happiness, what do they really want out of life? I think it's because we don't know that we need to figure it out. We're not taught that you need to come up with this on your own. It seems as though it should be obvious, as that you should just naturally be born knowing that this is, you know, what you were meant to do, have some have some passion or some uh, overarching guide or need. I think 
I think that's it. I think we don't realize that figuring out what genuinely makes you happy really takes separating yourselves away, self away from what society tells you is going to make you happy, from what your parents have told you is going to make you happy, from what your partner has told you is going to make you happy, and even from what sort of the younger you thought would make you happy, and trying to look at your life and your day-to-day and everything around it and go, well, well no, when, when, when am I actually happy? And what am I doing then? And how can I get more of that? So again, it's about being purposeful, right? This theme is intentionality and purposefulness. And, and yeah, we come into this world. And I think this is also generational to some degree too, as we talked about our grandparents, our parents, there was a lot of just expectation that, um, whether our parent family were immigrants, it's just kind of like, it's not about happiness, self-actualization. It's about like, do your job, survive, um, get ahead, provide, you know? So is this a newer, is this a, and I think this is something we're talking more and more to our kids about, like what makes you happy? What do you want to do? And these weren't necessarily questions that a lot of people in the older generations were even entertaining. I think they thought about it differently. When you look back at all of human history, you find people, just regular people, making art, making things more beautiful than they had to be, drawing on the walls of their cave, uh, you know, knitting patterns into sweaters that could have been just plain and ordinary. I think people whose lives were filled every day with what you were talking about, with getting by, with putting uh, food on the table, with doing the things that really they had to be done, that there weren't choices about. Also, naturally found ways to bring some more joy into that. We have so many more choices and frequently so fewer hours that are occupied by stuff that if you don't do it, you know, your farm animals will die. That's just, that's just not the mm-hmm. world that we live in. So I think mm-hmm. it's actually that abundance of choice that's made us feel like, well, I must be doing what would make me happy because it's not like I'm having to go out every morning and milk the cows. So instead of working to find the thing that makes us happy, we sort of just fall into things and don't, you know, don't take the time to figure out what is going to really work for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what we're saying, everyone, is it is possible for you to be happier as a parent by focusing on your own life and what's important for you while also guiding your own kids on the path towards happiness and fulfillment. Nice. All right. There was a pause there. I was waiting for you to see if you agree or disagree. So yeah, we, we are on the same page there. Yes. We are. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, okay cool. Um, okay. So, KJ, let's do the parent footprint moment question. Yes. Okay. So tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. So all four of my kids two boys and two girls play hockey, ice hockey. And that takes a lot of time. And, no, and no time commitment there. No time. Well, at the moment, sure. No time commitment there. Um, no, it's, it's been great. And it's kind of the only thing they do. And, and, um, well, it's not, but it's, it's been great, but 
my oldest when he was in fifth grade. Yes, when he was in fifth grade, um, broke his leg playing hockey for, I might add, the first time. He will break his leg again later playing hockey a second time, his other leg. Uh, but so he, he broke his leg playing hockey. And this huge, this thing was this huge part of his day-to-day life. Just bang. You, know, you can't, you're not going to play hockey with a broken leg, you know, leg. There's no practice. There's no hanging out with that particular group of friends. There's no games to go to. There's no tournament. There's no, so, so in a very, and plus he'd hurt. And so in a very big sense, his world has collapsed and um, we've come home from getting the cast on and he's strewn out across the sofa and we've talked the hospital into giving him something besides ibuprofen because that's what they did. And that's ridiculous for a broken leg. And he's laying there and he's sobbing and he's miserable. And I found myself sitting there and saying, you know, it's going to be okay. And look, there's this other stuff that you can do. And look, this will give you the opportunity to spend more time on your this and your that. And, and I'm sitting there bubbling away. And all of a sudden, I just took this mental step back and looked at myself and went, whoa, this is not about him. You are sitting here talking to this poor, miserable kid whose leg hurts, whose, you know, really bad things have just happened and trying to make him feel better. Not so he'll feel better. So you'll feel better. Right. And I just, oh, I was so ashamed of the way that I had even been talking for the last, I don't know, I don't even know how long because he just needed to be miserable for a little while. And he had every right to be miserable. And he needed me to come back to him with, yes, you feel this because it's going to be okay. You're going to feel all these terrible things and you're going to get through it. But you don't have to cheer up for yourself. And goodness knows you do not have to cheer up for me. Mm. So that has really stuck with me that, yeah, I sometimes we really just need to give our kids sometimes we really just need to let our kids be feel what they feel and not mm-hmm. what we want them to feel especially if we're just trying to make them feel better when things are not good yes and that awareness that you had of the difference between what you were trying to do for you versus what you were trying to do for him and that awareness is so key yeah no, it was it was I I felt really good about it. I definitely gold starred myself when I did (laughs) stop, but goodness knows how many times I had done that over the, and I'm sure I've done it. Yeah. I've done it since. It's really hard, you know, to see your kids unhappy. Um, And even though I know that things are going to work out, broadly speaking, um, you know, however they work out, they'll work out and people will find their way to happiness around it because that's what human beings do. You know, you still want to be like, no, it's going to be okay here. Let me, let me, um, you know, let me buy you a new balloon. Let me fix your leg. Right, right. That was this moment where you just, there was nothing that I could do mm-hmm. other than just shut up and just be there. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom about how we all can be happy as parents and um, tell us tell everyone where they can find your books and your writings and what you're up to 
The easiest place to find me is at kjdelantonia.com. And don't lose any sleep over trying to spell it. If you just start, you'll find me. Um, that's <laughs> that's what happens when you write over a thousand pieces for the New York Times. You're, you you get to be at the top of the Google <laughs> the Google stuff. When just put in a D it. and it'll come up. Just start yeah, with the you first need the letter. KJ. You need the KJ part. KJDE and then, yeah. You're good. It's going to start good. popping up. Yes. Um, I'm probably most active on Instagram. I'm at KJDA there. I spend a lot of time reviewing books and talking about fiction and some time talking about parenting and family life. Um, and that's, yeah, those are the best places to find me. Awesome. KJ, thank you for joining us today and much, much success with your new book coming out soon. And we're all going to go check it out. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's a wrap for Sisters Parenting, Happiness and More with KJ, Dell, and Tonia. She is helping us to think about becoming happier as parents. There are steps we can take. We can look at our mindset. We can focus on what's really important and we can let our kids live their own lives while we search to live our own and seek to live our own. As always, do your best to be the person you want your child to become. Check us out at our website. Subscribe to the podcast and tell others about it. And as always, I leave you with the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?